90s basketball was a lot of fun playing against these dudes. They absolutely brought it every night. Five, four, three, two, one. Hill puts it on the floor. And stops anybody down. He brought the whole goal down. Matumbo embraces the ball and then unlikely upset. They're on their feet. A new NBA assist king, John Stockton. The crowd going crazy. The Michael three, two, Michael firing. What is going on, everybody? This is the 90s basketball show. My name is Brian Swain, and thank you for tuning in. Now, it was in September 2000 that the world came together for the games of the 27th Olympiad in Sydney, Australia, and it was there that the Canadian men's basketball team provided us with a moment for the ages. Now, of course, it's right there in the title. This is a show about the 90s. But I'm, uh, I'm changing the rules a little bit this time around to include the year 2000 because there is no way I can let the 20th anniversary of that team go by without taking a look back. And now to help me do just that, I am thrilled to be joined by a member of the 2000 Canadian men's Olympic basketball team. He is now heading into his 14th year as head coach of the Laurentian men's basketball program, Sean Swords. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, 20 years just flies by. Does it feel that long to you? It's funny because sometimes it feels like it was just the other day. And then sometimes, uh, I guess when I'm shooting around with my team, it feels like it's been 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, let's start a little bit, talk a little bit about this team. This team probably, um, and, and as we'll get into, they have really one of the signature wins in Canadian basketball history. Still to this day, the, the most recent Canadian men's team to participate in the Olympics. The journey, however, started at the 1999, what was then called the Tournament of the Americas. It's basically the equivalent, of course, of now what would be the Olympic qualifying. Uh, and you guys had to go into San Juan needing to finish top two to advance to the Olympics, which at that point, Canada had not been since 1988. Talk to me a little bit about the makeup of that team, Sean. Some of you guys have been together for a few years now, have been starting to develop. Was there a belief in that team that there was an opportunity here to finish within the top two? And obviously, when you're talking about finishing within the top two, it's really the Americans have got number one, and then it's everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on a couple points there. I think uh, that that group... Um, I think majority of players uh, had played together before, whether it be uh, on a club team, on the junior national team, uh, provincial team, uh, student national team, or e even the senior team. So there was a, a definitely a camaraderie amongst us all um, that we kind of knew, you know, knew each other, knew how we played, and not only played together, but that group had had success at international events uh, previously. So in, in, in FISU games, uh, you know, we'd... we'd uh, you know, we'd won bronze medal, uh, silver medal, um, done very well at those events. And that is against countries, their best players. Um, like in, in Japan, the FISU games in Japan, their, their roster had Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen. Like they, they had those guys when they were at UConn, uh, Wake Forest, and Georgetown. So we had, we had played well and challenged ourselves against the best in the country and had success. So I think, I think that was a major, a major factor in it. Um, 
but then if if I think back to 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 ninety nine and going into that tournament, I, I don't I don't remember us talking much about qualifying. I just remember us talking a lot about let's get better, you know, let's improve, uh, you know, let let's keep getting better as a team and and you know every game and and see what happens at the end. But it came down to really the opportunity for you guys. You, you advanced to the semifinals, and of course, then the winners of the semifinals would earn that Olympic spot. One semifinal was the States and Argentina. Uh, you guys found yourselves up against Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico had beaten you in, in the group stage, and of course, they're the host team. So a lot of pressure there. What was the environment like in that game? I mean, it, it, was, it was everything you would think it would be. I mean, they, I, I think they had... They beat us in the round robin, and I, I think going into that game, I don't want to say they overlooked us, but they definitely were confident going into the game. And, and you know, we're, we're hoping they're at home and we're playing against a team we already beat. And, you know, I think that was definitely in their mind. I think in our mind, it still just came down to, okay, like we're in this position. Let's, you know, let's, let's put our best foot forward and, and see where it lands. And I, I still think... You know, with with uh, the fans against us, with with Puerto Rico against us, I still think we had some unbelievable performances from from our our leaders that uh, that really helped us overcome it. And I I think the success that team had was was uh, was a lot to do with the leadership we had on that team, and and really uh, the rest of us all kind of followed and uh, believed. If they believe, then we can believe. After 11 years away from the Summer Olympics. Cannon is going back to the games. Against the odds, Jay Triano, Steve Nash, and this very young national team. Do you have any specific memories of towards the end of that game or, or after that game when you know it kind of hit that we did it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, that a lot of that stuff. I've, I've watched that game recently because it's it has been 20 years, and and there's parts of the game that you forget and parts you remember and. And I don't I, – one I remember at the end, I, I, I personally went in at the end of the half just for a defensive possession, one possession. I think there was like 20 seconds left or something, and, and I subbed in, and, and they had the ball, and, and we got a steal. And I, I still remember Rowan Barrett uh, got the steal, and I was ahead of him, like underneath the basket basically, and looking to see if he – you know, if his shot was going to go in because, like, Rowan is like – he's ridiculously talented uh, player, right? Scorer, defender – can basically do anything, can score from anywhere on the floor. And I was like, ah, we're going to score right to the buzzer. This is going to be great. Shoot, you know, shoot the three, Ronan. And he passed it to me, and I was like, oh, man, now I got to score. <laughs> I remember that, <laughs> that position of just like a quick second of realizing, okay, Ronan should score. Oh, no, he's passing me because he should pass me because I'm ahead of him. And, and so we, we scored at the buzzer, went in, you know, on a good note at half. And, and then I just remember, for that game, I just remember Steve just, I mean, as a lot of the games that we won, Steve just dominated. It was ridiculous uh, how he, he kind of controlled the game and, and we played off him. And, and if you watch it now, I mean, they, they went into scramble mode and started fouling and, you know, we, we were calm with moving the ball around and, and got the ball at the right spots and they didn't really turn it over down the stretch. And, and I still like Sherman, Sherman Hamilton's just going to line and, you know, foul shots, foul shots, foul shots. And just that excitement is like, man, we did it. Like it was, it was definitely a crazy atmosphere right after the game to realize, wait a minute, okay, like, hey, we're going to the Olympics. Like it was, a, it was definitely a great, a great feeling when I look back. 
The story you tell there about getting that last shot before the half, too, I think that kind of, in a nutshell, maybe sums up this team. Because, you know, it really does seem that the players had a lot of trust in one another or belief in one another to make plays, to step up when was needed. Because I look through the box scores from these games, and it's amazing how many different guys that you had step up on one night, and then they might only play a couple minutes the next game, and then the next game after that, they're playing a big role again. It just seemed like it was a different guy every game, or different guys, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I think it really was. I think there was, a, like I said, a belief in each other and, and what we could do. And I think even if you had a bad game, you knew the rest of the team knew it was just, you know, it was out of the ordinary and you'll have a good game the next game. And, and it still comes back to that, to I think like the way I, I would phrase it now is just that, that egoless uh, leadership, like coming from the staff with Jay Triano, with Mike Cates, uh, Dave Pendergraft, Gary Smith, Schmidt, uh, Johnny Lee, like, and then that whole staff, Glenn Parsons, had no ego at all amongst them. It was all just for the team of how we can win. And then you start with who's the best player on our team, clearly the best player on our team, Steve. And he's like, obviously Nash is like one of the, he's like, he could be like the poster for having no ego. <laughs> like, so it, that really filtered down throughout the whole team. And it was just like, hey, what do we need to do to win a game? And then, and then I really think Jay started off well too with just, really focusing on the process of how we could win every possession and, you know, going on from there and keeping that, that mentality in terms of sports psychology, which we added a sports psychologist, David Cox, that really helped us as well. So I think that that egoless leadership was something that resonated with, with all of us and, and really helped us for, for long portions of, of the bull summers. Kind of a neat way to segue out of that game. Of course, you win that one on enemy turf. And then your first game at the Olympics – in Sydney is against Australia. So here you are again playing the host team. And I mean, you know, Australia were a very strong side. Just take me a little bit about through that game. You guys won that game 101 to 90. A lot of people mm-hmm. called it an upset. Was it an upset? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think by, by most measures, it would be an upset. We had, we had uh, traveled to Australia the year before, not with this exact team, but but very similar. Obviously, one key piece wasn't there, and that was Steve. He didn't attend the year before. Um, and then even the Olympic summer, we had went to Australia, went to Sydney for a tournament in June. And again, we, we didn't have Steve, and we didn't have maybe a couple other players, and we went. And I mean, we didn't. I mean, they, they clearly had their best players, and, and they showed it every time we played against them. So there was that kind of uh, upset mentality where they didn't think they could lose really to us. And and we just knew that, hey, you haven't played us with Steve yet. Um, the summer before, we had beat them. I think we beat them once or twice in the five-game series. And we didn't beat them the Olympic year. Um, but we still knew they never played us with our full team and specifically with, with Steve. So that, that team, I think you hit it on the, on the head there. It's like that team was like they were, they were favored to get a medal. Uh, they were favored to, like, to challenge the U.S. Um, that year. So it was a complete surprise. I think to, to the basketball world, but I think to us as a group, we were a little bit surprised, but not really because we never had them with, with Steve. So it was definitely a buildup for to play Australia in Australia, the first game. And we, Jay framed it nicely for us. It was like, I don't know if it was true or not, but it's like, they, they chose to play us. They, you know, we had it in our mind that they wanted to get an easy win the first game to set themselves on the right foot for the Olympics. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a great, great game to win. What was the more hostile atmosphere, playing Australia in Sydney or playing Puerto Rico in San Juan? Oh, I don't think a doubt it was Puerto Rico. 
Like I think still with the, with the Olympics, uh, I guess, you know, just the, the, the rules and security and regulations yeah. that follow that it's the animosity is kind of not there. And even the tickets allotments for people to come to watch the game. Uh, whereas that wasn't happening at the tournament of America's right. So it was definitely, it was definitely a tougher victory in, in Puerto Rico. Uh, after that game, you guys went on a bit of a roll. You beat Spain, you beat Angola. What did that victory against Australia do for the team? Was it a confidence boost? You know, I, I, I probably have a different answer if you ask me the day after, but right now I don't remember it being like a massive confidence boost. I, I remember, you know, after all those games, we would have our quick pregame or postgame speech from Jay and the coaches, and, and it wasn't very long. And then the next team was up on the on the board in the locker room. So right after the Australian game, it was like, okay, hey, we did this well, did that well, and congrats. And, and then it was like, on to the next game. Okay, who are we playing next? And it would be on the board, and we really, like, there was no time to really be like, okay, that's great, now we might win this. It's, it was really like, okay, hey, what's our next job? Our next job is this next country right here, and they want to beat you because you just beat Australia. So they're going to be ready to come for you. So that was more the mentality, I think, that kept us on track, focused on what our next uh, job was. Is you going to maybe uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on what it was like trying to stay focused and keep a bit of a tunnel vision in that atmosphere? What were some of the distractions you had to deal with? Obviously, with the Olympics being what the Olympics are, there's going to be, you know, everything takes longer, I'm sure. Everything's 100 times larger. How did you find that whole atmosphere, and how do you feel the team adjusted to it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people talk about, right? That, you know, when you go to the Olympics, there's these distractions that you're you're not really prepared for or not aware of. And, and Jay had been to Olympics before, so you know, he had us kind of prepared for that really well. We had made a point to go to Australia twice before the Olympics, so we did some sightseeing during those trips. So there wasn't that kind of underlying thing in your head of, wow, am I ever gonna get to Australia again to see anything? Um, and then just the Olympic Village uh, atmosphere, there's all kinds of distractions in there, right? There's people from all over the world. Uh, they have lots of things to keep people busy in the village um, just because there can be a, a sense of boredom. Um, and then just being at the Olympics, you have access to, to go watch events, right? You could, I mean, you're allowed to, to book tickets to go watch different events as, a, as an athlete. Um, so we did some things leading up to it. We, we had, uh, some, we had a, an event for family and friends before the Olympics started. Um, and then we kind of made a pact to not really – uh, go off off-site to go meet for anything else till it was over um, so that was one thing we did uh, and then um, you know if you really think about it those distractions don't become distractions when you put them in context with okay am I ever going to be at the Olympics again and you you know you you could say no or yes whatever but let's take advantage of it so going to see it we were like you know why it'd be great you get to go to an event but you know what there's gonna be other olympics that i might not participate in that i can still go watch and get the same atmosphere so we 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 decided on that as well and then i think another another thing that really helps is that this this group of, of players and teammates that we had we love to compete no matter what it was so we i mean we used to play cards and whatever games we could find to play against each other in the village and and kind of keep us focused on that and still competing and and doing the regular trash talk we would with each other in card games and and kind of keep ourselves occupied that way who was the best card player on the team oh that that would depend that would depend uh probably depend on the day uh and the game but we played a lot of spades that was our uh, our game of choice for most of us 
So okay, now there wasn't uh, like any Michael Jordan type money riding on the line on this, was there? <laughs> like we saw on the last dance. <laughs> Let's look back again. So at that team, there was only two players that were in the NBA. The rest yeah. of us were overseas. So no, there was no Michael Jordan type money going on those games. There was pride, which is more valuable than money. You can just feel the vibe in this building. People starting to filter into the seats. It is all coming down to a great finish tonight with this Canadian game against Yugoslavia. There have been many great Canadian moments in men's basketball, but if Canada could pull off a win here, it would, without question, be the greatest victory in the history of Canadian men's Olympic basketball, bar none. So as I mentioned there, you guys got the wins against uh, Spain and Angola. You lost your fourth game to a very strong Russian team. So you're heading into the final game of the round robin at, with a 3-1 record against Yugoslavia, who was unbeaten at 4-0, knowing that if you win, you can get first place in the group, which is really unprecedented, and I don't think a lot of people were, certainly were expecting that. I remember watching very, very clearly to this day, watching this game in the middle of the night. Let's jump right into this game, because this is, I think, an, an iconic moment in Canadian basketball history. Heading into this game now, what was your familiarity with that team? They had a very stacked roster, a lot of players that were either in the NBA at that point or would in the near future play in the NBA. Peja Stoyakovic was probably the biggest name on that team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, Danilovic was near the end right. of his career, but still, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we might have played them in, in Hong Kong in a lead-up uh, tournament, but we weren't that familiar with playing against them. Um, but, I, yeah, like, they were, they were ridiculous. Like, they were – I don't even know if there's a European team. I think maybe at, at this point, Spain, when teams are playing Spain, they might think about it. But they were, uh, like – I mean, Australia was, was, a, was a threat to win the medal. And, and then Yugoslavia was – the other team was like, okay, this, this team could beat the U.S. So that was definitely we – knew, we knew how good they were, they were supposed to be and how good they were for sure. And the situation in this game, too, of course, if you knew that you were getting on to the next or the quarterfinal stage anyway, but I believe it was um, if you had lost, there was a potential that you would have to play the States in the crossover of uh, the quarterfinal. So there was a lot of emphasis on winning this game. But again, like I said, I don't think there was a lot of expectation of that. You were down 42-33 at the half, and probably that's what a lot of people figured how the game would play out. And then... The second half, you guys outscored them 50 to 33. It was just an absolutely incredible. How did you guys pull that off? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? I think, I think leading up to it, we, we uh, Jay definitely, definitely play, played the motivation card and the underdog card. And yeah, there was already news, news reports and press releases out that Canada is going to finish fourth. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, a great tournament. They're going to have to play the U.S. in the quarterfinals. Like, that was already in our minds, like, we have no chance to win. Like we've already been written off. And so you come into the game and I mean, I think we all, we all had a kind of good scout on them in terms of individual players and what they're trying to do uh, as a team. Um, and then I think the second half, you start to see them come out a little bit more of like, okay, we're really buying into what we want them to do and how we want them to shoot and how comfortable they are with different, different shots. And, and, and then we just made some ridiculous plays that, that are unbelievable down the stretch. And, and really help seal seal the win, um, but I think our our defense frustrated them. I think for for sure in the second half, and and I guess to some extent the first half. But our, our defense, it's you know really frustrated them, and then our ability to just be able to execute at certain points, uh, I mean, help help that be a, a crazy win for sure. 
If we were to put this game in context, myself, you know, I consider that the biggest win by the, the senior men's national team in my lifetime and then, you know, potentially of all time. Where do you think that game ranks in Canadian basketball history? Yeah, like I, I think we're, we're a bit probably short-sighted or in, in the sense that we think it's the best. I don't, I don't know enough about, I guess, history going past past, I guess, the 70s, and, and maybe there's some, you know, iconic wins there. Um, but for, the, for this, yeah, I mean, I, I think you did mention the senior national team because I would have said the FISU games team in Edmonton. Right. right. Like, that's the student game team. That's like a ridiculous championship, right, a gold medal. And, and so that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge win. But otherwise, I mean, given the context, can you ever figure out exactly comparisons? Man, it's got to be up there, right? Like, like the, the – the David and Goliath reference has to come in. Like we had no chance again, like we're just no good. These guys are all, like you said, they're all playing in the NBA or they're playing on the top European teams. They're basically on all the teams that, that we all wanted to be on. I mean, we're, we're on some, some mid to mid to high or mid to low or just barely surviving pro teams overseas. And we're playing against guys that are in Euro league or in the NBA. And so, yeah, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be up there in Canadian history for sure. I was watching the video of this game not that long ago, and you could definitely see there was an incredible emotion and elation from the members of the team. At that point in time, did you have a grasp or a sense of the magnitude of what you just uh, achieved? I, I don't think of in that sense, in terms of history, no. I think in, the, in, in just the context of the tournament, yes. Like just the, the, the day and a half or I guess almost 48 hours of hearing how we're going to lose and we're going to have this great tournament end because we're playing the U.S. in the quarterfinals. Like, and then to be able to win it and be like, okay, we just proved a lot of people wrong. Like, that was like a sense of, you know what, this is, this is a huge win. Like, unbelievable. But just on the same side, it was the same as the other games. Then we went into Dre's like, all right, now I don't think we knew at the time who we were playing in the quarters, but it's like, okay, like this game's over. Great job. But, you know, we got to get our minds focused on the quarterfinal game and what we're going to need to improve going into that game. So there was definitely a period of like elation that we proved people wrong from the last 48 hours, but definitely not the context that we're, we're speaking now in historical value. So, yeah, of course, everyone was thinking that it was almost fait accompli. You guys would be playing the Americans. The result completely turned that around, and now you're playing France. Talk to me a little bit about the lead-up for that game against France. Did anything shift in the team because you – I don't know what you were thinking, if you had been expecting or anticipating to prepare for the Americans and all of a sudden you were, it was a different team. Was your mindset shifted at all? No, not at all. I mean, we had played the U.S. in, uh, in Hawaii on the way to the Olympics. So the way we scheduled it because of the time difference and trying to adjust to the time zone in, in Australia, we gradually went over. So we went to Vancouver for a training camp. Then we went to Hawaii for a training camp. Then we went to Hong Kong for a tournament. Uh, and then we got to there. So we had played the U.S. and Hawaii. And, I mean, you can prepare for them all you want. But it wasn't in our minds, definitely, that that's ahead of time. We were very much, you know, in the moment who we playing next. Um, I think even the last game of the round robin, it was China and France to see who would be fourth. And I think, I, I want to say, like, France was down a lot in the game and came back and won. So they were, I mean, they were a good team. And, and for me, personally, I was, I, was our, I was playing at the time in Switzerland, first division. Uh, for Boncourt and everything on TV there was French, you know, French pro A uh, basketball. So the top league in France and some of their players were, were slowly maybe going into the NBA 
or playing on EuroLeague teams as well. So we were all kind of all the European guys and knew knew these players and knew they were good and and we were definitely weren't. Uh, there was no change of mindset. It was more like okay, let's go. I almost feel like we went into it thinking we're the number four and they're the one. <laughs> so take me through that game again. You guys were down big at the half and you made another big run in the second half, but couldn't quite get over the hump as you did in the game against Yugoslavia. You think you guys played to your potential in that game because that France team went on to win the silver medal. Mm-hmm. They did have a very talented roster. What is your perspective on that game now? Yeah, it's still, it's still, it still hurts. <laughs> you know, I, I watched, I watched it. Uh, I think a couple months ago, I watched it again, and it's just painful to watch it because I just, I just remember the feeling like we just need something. Like, can we do something? And I personally was like, can I play any better? I played 30 seconds and played terrible in the 30 seconds. And it was just like, man, I could have done something. I just played totally terrible. I didn't help the team at all. So there's that, that negativity that you just wanted to do something to do better. And I'm like, man, the 30 seconds was too long. I shouldn't even been on the floor. Like there's kind of, there's kind of that because you just know you, we just needed something to get going and we just couldn't. I think they had a good game plan. Like I think internationally, I don't know if people notice it as much, but internationally, uh, you're typically allowed to be a lot more physical than you are in the NBA or even internationally now, uh, and even in the CIS or U-sport that we call it. So they came with a lot of physicality and really took it to us, really took it to Steve, um, and we, we weren't able to really get through that. Like that kind of just which, – which is strange because that's usually what we would do, right? That's, that was kind of our MO in certain situations. Definitely my MO at the international level was – was trying to impose my physicality into the game. Um, so, I, you, like, I think back of that game, and it just hurts because it's like, man, we didn't come close to playing as well as we did. And, and a lot of it was to, to credit to them, and, and then we just couldn't find the, the solution to kind of make that tick like we did in the Yugoslavia game. We are able to, to kind of latch onto something and, and get going. Yeah, well, you know, I, I can't lie either. I was heartbroken watching this because, you know, you're thinking if, if you win that game, you're going to get an opportunity to play for a medal, which would be unbelievable in itself. Uh, after losing that, you get to play in a relegation round or relegation game, which was for seventh place, which probably doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but finishing 17 Olympics is, I think that's, that's a pretty big deal. And you're playing against a Russian team, which is very good and had beaten you earlier in the round, Robin, but that game was double overtime and you guys beat a very good Russian team and you played pretty much the entire game, didn't you? Yeah. 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 It was an interesting situation. They've since got rid of those relegation rounds. Yeah. Right? I think, uh, both teams were, you're obviously distraught that you're not in the middle round and you're not going to be where you are. And, and, and your mind, like you said, we said earlier about staying focused, your mind's definitely not as focused. And you're really just trying to, you know, show well for your country still, uh, while trying to hide the disappointment that you didn't get the medal that you were expecting. Um, but yeah, going into it, we had some injuries. Like, I mean, everybody kind of plays with some and then some get worse. And, and I remember Rowan Barrett, uh, you know, pulled his quad uh, and just couldn't play. And so it's like, it's not a, you know, you're not risking it for a, for a seventh place game. So yeah, I mean, Jay was like, Hey, Sean, you're starting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a, and then double overtime. And then it was, it was a well fought battle for sure by both teams. And, and, uh, if you look back at it, I'm happy we won them. Like, it's great to win that game, but obviously you would change anything into to be in that France game to win that one. Yeah, of course. I always thought that was a nice feather in your in your cap, though. Like I say, to beat a very strong Russian team and with nothing but pride on the line, I, I think yeah, that meant a lot. 
Yeah, and when you look at it too, like it's we we finished so we finished the tournament at five and two. Yeah. So we finished with the second best record in the tournament. Now, yeah, it's just when you lose the games, right? You just yeah. lose them at the wrong time, and you get seventh place instead of first, second, or third. Do you have an Olympic moment personally? Um, I think there's a few probably. I think one of the one big one is is uh, walking in the opening ceremonies. Like that's a, I, I, we had walked, I'd played on the FISU games team, which for people that don't know, it's like a mini Olympics for, for, for students that are in sports. And it's a huge event. Um, I guess similar to the Pan Am games, you'd say it, but it's like second in participation to the Olympics and it's run basically the same way. There's an athlete's village and there's an open ceremonies. And so I had walked in two of those and, and those were impressive. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But then to walk in the Olympics is like, like it really hits you like this is something special like so that kind of always still kind of gives me chills when I talk about it now which is 20 years later um so though that definitely is a, is a memory I hold and then after it's just kind of everything together like just the camaraderie amongst our teammates and and the staff right just that kind of always just kind of resonates how we were able to pull together and really believe in each other and and be successful I think you know we we shed some tears after the loss and and, uh, you know, it's, it's corny to say, but a lot of it was because the journey was over, not because we lost and we didn't get a medal. It's like, okay, this group's not going to be together again. Um, so that was, that's something that I still kind of hold now. Um, we talked a bit about what the game against Yugoslavia meant. Now that we're 20 years on, the 20 years on, what do you feel the legacy of this team is? Because as I said, it's still the most recent Canadian men's national team to make the Olympic Games. And I mean, I know a lot of people have been upset that they haven't been able to make it through since then. Looking at it from another perspective, it just shows how really difficult it is to make the Olympics in men's basketball. And it's getting harder all the time. For you guys to do what you did with the roster you had, and now you're able to reflect back on it, what you feel is the legacy of this team? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an important note that it's like, it is really hard to get to the Olympics. Like, it's not easy. Um, and I think, like, for like, another context, I think Jay talks about this in, in some of the thing, interviews he does, is like, is like, we only got to be uh, third place in our group to play Puerto Rico by one basket at the end of a game that was already over. So the first game of the uh, Puerto Rico qualifier, we played Argentina. And Rowan Barrett had the ball. We were up, I think it was up seven. And he was dribbling, basically dribbling around. They, they weren't going to foul. They weren't playing any D. And Jay's yelling at him to finish the layup. So he puts the layup in at the buzzer, and we win by nine. Well, the round-robin tiebreaker is points for and against against the other teams you're tied with. So it was us, Argentina, and Puerto Rico. And so we won the tiebreaker between the three based off that. We were plus two, and they, the two of them were at zero at even so we ended up being ahead of them and ended up playing Puerto Rico off one basket otherwise we would have been tied and been fourth and playing the U.S. in the semifinals and never got to here so it's like it's really crazy on how difficult it is to get to the Olympics so I think people are starting to see that now I, I get bothered a little bit at the anger that I see at times through through I guess social media or just the media in general of like why hasn't Canada been there and why can't they get there with all the talent and Cause it's hard. <laughs> it, it, it's not easy to do. I, I, I love the, the talent that we've developed, the country's developed and, and that's through the grassroots, right? Through the club level, 
you know, all the way through universities, through prep schools, to, to going to the States, some players going to the U.S. at any point of their career to try and improve and then playing in the NBA and then coming back and wanting to represent their country. Like, it's still really hard. You have all those things on your side with our talent and everything, and it's still difficult to qualify. And so I think it just, I mean, it does say, you know, it's a testament to what that group was able to do at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's obviously as, a, as an alumni of the national team, it's sad that we haven't been there since, but it's not for a lack of trying. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, let's just hope that, that this June, you know, we can, we can do well at that qualifier and, and be really able to get on the stage. And I think another part of that is like, once you get there, a medal is attainable. Like, it's not like you just get in and you're happy to be there. And I think that's what our, our group proved at, at Sydney. Like, we were underdogs and, and went from not, no chance of advancing to all of a sudden, man, they should advance and should medal to then, you know, having a, one bad game and you're out. And I think that's what this, this team, I think even last summer's World Cup team was the same thing. If they get out of that pool stage, they have a chance to medal. And, you know, a couple bounces either way during this, the round robin stage and, and they're advancing. And so I think that group, that's going to get together this June, we'll have that same thing. Like, well, let's, let's take it a game at a time here, but let's set our sights on qualifying. And then once we qualify, well, there's nothing stopping us from getting a medal right now. We're, we're that good. You talked a lot about the camaraderie on that team. Are you still stay in touch with a lot of the members of that team to this day? Yeah, I try to. I mean, we had, uh, we had a little mini reunion, I think it was 2000 and, uh, 2010 in Vancouver, where uh, a lot of the guys got out there. Um, and then I'm, obviously I'm still involved in basketball. So I still talk to, you know, some of the guys that are, that are involved in basketball still, um, uh, you know, Rowan Barrett, who's, who's the head of basketball Canada. I've been lucky enough to, uh, you know, to help coach some of the teams and, and was the head coach myself of the FISU games team last summer. Um, Michael Meeks works with them there. Greg Francis is a coach of, of, uh, Ontario tech right now. Um, Peter Gracci was coaching the UBCO. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of guys I still talk to, but that 2010 was, uh, you know, we were, most of the guys were there. I saw Eric Heinrichson there. Uh, I've seen Green, Greg Newton over the years a few times, David Daniels, um, you know, Sherm off and on. Um, and then Steve, you know, from time to time uh, when we get a chance. And Andrew Mavis too, anytime I'm out in BC, it's, uh, you know, it's time to connect with Mavis. And then the last one is Todd McCullough, right? He had his, his, uh, his uh, career cut short from, from uh, injury and and so I, he was out there that year too so yeah it's I mean I've tried to and we we try and connect as much as we can and uh, but there's definitely a group of us that still hang out and I think I think they're doing a job now where it's a more of a big pool to get in and we did that back then and so I still talk to some of those guys too like Jerome Robinson was just just missed playing on the team Keith Vassell uh, Jordy McTavis uh, Richie Anderson like those were all guys that were kind of in the mix uh that year as well and just you know we're, there was a group of 18 or so that were were there and you know they ended up selecting 12 players from that but yeah what i thought was really interesting is i started thinking about it i was looking at the roster there's a number of guys on that team that are in coaching now yourself included of course steve now uh, recently hired by the brooklyn nets but if they're not in coaching they're in administrative positions in basketball does that say anything about this team the, the character or the makeup of this team well i think I think part of that's the love of the game, right? Like, so we are, I mean, none of us, I think that's a huge part of it. Like we just, we love the game and, and want to learn. And, you know, for me personally, like that's a huge aspect of it, right? Is wanting to learn, wanting to coach and wanting to pass on my experiences and, and try and help young players. And, and for now, you know, I'm a university coach. So helping, 
helping players get their degrees and, and really use basketball more than let basketball use them. And I think still that IQ, IQ factor, basketball IQ, you know, everybody on the team, uh, you hope at that level has it. And that, that group definitely did. Like we, we were all in tune. Everybody knew their roles and knew their roles and knew why their roles were that more importantly. Right. It's like, it's okay. You're not a shooter because you can't shoot that well. Like, speaking speaking for myself <laughs> do do what you do best at this level so that I mean that takes a lot of self-awareness and, and basketball IQ so I, you know it doesn't surprise me that this group group had it for sure a great performance overall a solid team performance from the Voyagers excellent coaching by Sean Swords getting the right players in at the right times playing this chess match down to a science so a great job by Sean Swords and this Voyagers squad they have to be happy with this weekend's performance so there wasn't that much of a gap, really, between when you stopped playing and got right into coaching. Was that something that even at that point in 2000, you were already getting the sense you wanted to do? No, not yet. I mean, I think I'm like, uh, probably like most athletes, you, uh, you hang on and keep playing because you want to keep playing because you love the game until, until basically your body kind of tells you not to. <laughs> or somebody tells you that your body is actually telling you not to. Um, I was still playing, yeah. So I was still playing overseas until 2007. And I went, uh, I went right into coaching, head coaching from there. I was actually an assistant coach my first year from graduating because uh, got injured playing pro and just came back and, and did uh, you know, some rehab on my ankle and helped coach at Laurentian for so the year right after I graduated. Um, and then went overseas playing and, and, you know, as you slowly end your career, then you're starting to think, okay, what's next? Um, and I really, you know, I clearly, I thought, you know, basketball and coaching was something that I, I definitely have a passion for. And I think, uh, I think for myself, I just felt that I could, there's some, some things that I could share and could add value to. So, yeah, I jumped in. It was, it was either continue playing overseas for a few years and, and getting to coaching there or, or really jump at an opportunity back at, uh, back at Laurentian. Uh, to be the head coach and so you know like with uh, with Shelly my wife we kind of decided and we'd already had a daughter born overseas and we just decided you know what it's it's a good time to come back to Canada and uh, and start coaching. And for people who might not be familiar I should mention you played at Laurentian and um, the level of basketball and new sports right now I think maybe a little bit underappreciated. What have you noticed have been maybe some of the um, the evolution of Canadian university basketball in the time that you have been coaching? Well, I think, I think the talent and the skill level is continues to rise to, to levels that are, I'm not sure everybody, people that aren't involved realize, like I, I know the stuff that I'm teaching my players now in skill development. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do when I graduated. I definitely couldn't do it then. And I, I'm not sure I was doing it when I stopped playing as a player. And all of a sudden, because of the workouts I've been doing, I'm realizing, hey, I should have done this when I played. So, and they're getting it right away and using it in games. So it's, it's like the skill level and the talent level, uh, it, it's, it's ridiculous. The things we're, we're, we're talking about and, and we really treat it, you know, academically, they're students first. So they're, they're investing a ton of time into their academics. And then most programs are, are treating their team as a professional team as well. And, and the fact that we're asking them to do video you know, we're asking them to do scouting reports. We're asking them to do individual workouts. Uh, you know, we're asking them to do all the practicing just with the team. And then we're asking them, you know, we're asking, demanding a lot of them in the community, right, to really, to really share the game and share their experiences. Um, and that's something that I think as, that people don't identify maybe as much. And, and I definitely didn't think about it when I was a player here. Uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily all the, 
you know, all the, the boxes weren't checked and, and what I just repeated. But I think there's a lot of emphasis on, on basketball development skill with video has helped a ton. And then I think, you know, what, what's currently going on with the NBA is, is really opened a lot of eyes with, with Black Lives Matter and, and basketball is at the forefront of that. And I think that's an important part of the piece that, that we're starting to jump on as well. I mean, at Laurentian here, we, had a, we have two players and an assistant coach who started a, a, a foundation, basically, that is helping educate youth and mentorship uh, for, for Black and Indigenous and people of color. Um, and it's called Ulu. So uluntu.ca is a great place to go. And, and they do workshops for, for businesses, for schools. They're actually training the Sudbury police here. So that's like, it's, it's unbelievable what our student athletes are asked to do. And, and in some cases demanded to do, and yet they continue to do it and smile and do an amazing job of it. So like that, the learning aspect, I think in coaching, uh, for me, I think a lot of people talk about we're teaching them what to do. And I was like, ah, I'm, you know what? Sometimes I look back and think, I think I'm learning more from them than, than I am teaching them. That is really tremendous to hear. What's the website address again you gave there? It's uh, Uluntu. So U-L-U-N-T-U dot C-A. Great. I'll have to check that out. I encourage everybody listening to go check that out too. Uh, Sean, thanks very much for taking some time here and uh, reliving the 20 years ago. Hopefully Canada breaks through and gets into the Olympics next year. But until then, as far as I'm concerned, you guys have the title of the team in Canadian men's basketball. Great. Thanks, thanks Brian. It's great to come back and, and talk about uh, all those memories. It's amazing. Yeah, it sure was. Thank you again, Sean. Before I get out of here, I thought I'd take a quick look back at Canada's games in those 2000 Olympics. They opened, of course, September 17th with the 101-90 to victory over the host Australians. Michael Meeks was the top scorer for Canada in that game with 27 points. Steve Nash had 15 points, 15 assists, and 6 boards. Canada's next game was two days later. That was September 19th. They beat Angola 99-54. Rowan Barrett had 21 points to lead the Canadians. Sean Swords led the Canadians with the seven rebounds. He also had five assists to tie Steve Nash for the team lead. September 21st, Canada kept rolling in the round robin. The 91-77 win over Spain. Michael Meeks was again their top scorer with 24 points. Steve Nash had five assists, and Pete Garashi had six boards. And Canada's first loss came on September 23rd against the Russians, 77-59. Steve Nash with 15 points and four assists to lead the Canadians in that one. And, of course, the big game, September 25th, 2000. Do you remember where you were? A lot of you were probably sleeping. A lot of you were probably, like me, awake. In the middle of the night, watching this one with a lot of pride. 83-75, Canada over Yugoslavia. Steve Nash, 26 points, 8 boards, 8 assists in an all-time iconic performance in Canadian sports. Canada had three days off, and then it was the quarterfinals against France. That was on September 28th, and of course, France beat them 68-63. Todd McCullough led Canada with 23 points and nine rebounds. Steve Nash had eight assists in that. So that put Canada into the uh, classification round. They would play Russia for seventh place, and that game happened on September the 30th. 
Canada winning 86-83 in double overtime. Pete Karashi with 21 points to lead the way. Michael Meeks had a team-high 10 rebounds. And Sherman Hamilton had five assists to lead Canada. Uh, the final stats for Canada, or final stats leaders for Canada in that tournament, a top scorer was Michael Meeks. He had uh, 14.3 points per game, which was fourth in the tournament. Uh, Steve Nash was second on the team with 13.7 points per game, and he led all players in the Olympic tournament with 6.9 assists. Tom McCullough was Canada's third leading scorer with 13.1 points, and he was also the team's top rebounder, averaging 5.1 rebounds per game. Uh, as for the medalists, the uh, United States beat France 85-75 to win gold, and the bronze medal game saw Lithuania beat Australia 89-71. Well, that will do it for this, the Millennium Remix edition of the 90s Basketball Show. Of course, you can catch all Basketball Show episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and at tsn1260.ca. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next time.